I graduated high school in 2021 right before the Texas education laws were passed. Starting college in such a politically heated time has been interesting, to say the least. While uncomfortable at times, attending my freshman year of college during such a polarized time has provided me with the opportunity to see this discomfort play out on the political battlegrounds in real time. My name is Lauren Olivares, and welcome to this episode of the Fallout Podcast, Dealing with Discomfort. The laws like SB3 that have emerged in Texas try to prevent discomfort by halting racial conversations altogether. During our research, I was interested in how students in Texas feel about discussions of race in the classroom. Do they think that these conversations should continue to take place? In my interviews with the university students and teachers across Texas schools, one theme became apparent to me. Discussions of race are uncomfortable for everyone involved, no matter one's race. But also, they felt the discussion should continue. But the way in which schools and teachers conduct them must be changed to better consider the needs of students of color. They should also approach feelings of discomfort in a way that is healthy and promotes growth when they inevitably arise. In this podcast, we'll hear from four different Texas students and teachers about their experiences during racial discussions in the classroom as they share how they deal with the discomfort aroused from racial discussions and offer potential solutions for addressing the inevitable feelings of discomfort when they arise. Let's start. One of my interviewees who we'll call Amy is a white woman teacher in San Antonio. She was very upfront about how these conversations can get awkward and how racial conversations are quickly shut down in her school as soon as they take place. Here's what she had to say when asked to think of a time the discussions of race produce feelings of discomfort in a school setting. The following voice recordings have been modified to maintain the anonymity of the interviewees. There's uh, something that my school just started last year it's a center for racial justice um and so they come in and they give two professional developments um every year and it's like a four-hour class that all of us have to sit through um it is very scary um Mm. they ask us for now i'm much more comfortable with it (laughs) but they ask us for our race for our pronouns how we self-identify um they give us really deep reflecting questions about like, you know, how we've uh, been exposed to racism, what we've witnessed racism. Um, I mean, it's a lot. Um, And so like that happens and it's like, no one talks about it until it comes up again, like in my school. Amy then described the strong feelings of discomfort created by the intentional discussion of race and white privilege from the perspective of a white individual, especially since she was doing this in a space where her whiteness really stood out. This is what she had to say. And then, like, just recently, that professional development that I told you about two weeks ago, like, we were in person in groups, and we were forced to, like, read an article that talked about anti-racism in the classroom. I couldn't tell you um, who it was or what the title was or anything. That. It was like five ways to like incorporate like um, equity and diversity in your classroom and how to be an anti-racist educator. But my principal had all of us read and then we broke into small groups and she gave us like some reflection questions about like what assumptions we had. Um, trying to think of the other things that she said, but I was super uncomfortable because I had an African American person that was in my group and I don't know him and I don't talk to him was around like opposite sides of the building and everyone else in that circle was Hispanic and I was the only white person. Mm. I'm white, I'm blonde hair, I'm blue eyes, like, you know, so <laughs> I'm very like, you fit this stereotype. Like, 
you know, and so it was really scary for me to say anything. And yeah. so I was more of a listener when I'm not ready to tell you I don't shut up. I talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I had to be really careful about what I said and how I said it because I didn't want to like cultivate like any feelings of like, oh, like she's racist or she feels this way or something like that. Yeah. I really appreciated how open Amy was about describing this discomfort. Later, she said something that really stood out to me because of how it conveyed how just the simple acknowledgement of one's discomfort can prove to ease the uncomfortable feelings greatly. Like in most things, the first step in acknowledging a problem is to often admit that it exists. Here is what she had to say. I felt much more comfortable now because I literally just named it at the end of it. Like I told him, I was like, I need you to know that I'm very uncomfortable. I'm like, this is why. Yeah. And like, I'm so lucky. Like, he was like, no, like, it's cool. Like, we're navigating this together. Like, it's yeah. okay. Like, I'm not going to get offended. Just be honest with me. And I was like, okay, yeah. cool. When students and teachers name this discomfort in a direct way, conversations around race often become less scary for everyone involved. There's something powerful about acknowledging something head-on and calling it as it is. I talked to a Latino male university student, let's refer to as Joey. He had a perspective that I found especially thought-provoking because it brought attention to how the feelings of discomfort arousing the intentional discussion of race in the classroom differ for students of color. While Amy's discomfort originated from her partaking in racial conversations in a space where her whiteness really stood out, Joey's discomfort emerged from being a student of color in a predominantly white environment. Joey said that if racial conversations are not conducted with adequate sensitivity to the experience of students of color, then it's better that they don't take place in the classroom at all. Let's listen what he had to say. The trigger warning should be applied to pretty much how it's pretty much to anybody, but in particular people that have gone through it and have gone through like forms of discrimination and racism in particular. One of my interviewees, who we can call Blake, is a white educator in San Antonio. He emphasized the importance of centering racial discussions around historically marginalized voices and noted that he strives to create a safe space in his classroom for discussions that allow all his students equal representation. Let's listen to a bit about how Blake views his role as a high school English teacher. Yeah, F. Scott yeah. Fitzgerald and Mark Twain and, and all those are great writers, but like they're all like, you know, centered around white people. Like we never interrogated like why those things are. And so I think that's kind of what I see myself as as my role as an English teacher is mm-hmm. where are we centering those voices and where can we change it so that everyone's voice is being Blake then expressed frustration with the law's efforts to hinder authentic inquiry and conversation in the classroom for the sole reason of preventing any emotions that are even slightly uncomfortable from arising, as it is those difficult emotions that ultimately allow for the greatest self-reflection and growth. Here is what he had to say. We're supposed to be inquisitive and asking questions, and it feels like it's stripping those things away from the classroom. Yeah, you know... You know, just like what people would say critical race theory is like literally looking at where are the sources of power and looking at the real history of our country and who is it served and who is it not for a long time. Um, and I think it's kind of trying to stifle those kind of conversations for fear of like making people feel bad. But again, it's just like, you know, do you feel bad or like do you just want to not talk about it because it makes you feel uncomfortable? So. 
Although Blake acknowledged the reality of the uncomfortable nature of these topics, he stressed how the necessity of these conversations overrides the feelings of discomfort aroused through partaking in them. All three of the interviewees, Amy, Joey, and Blake, recognize both the need for these discussions to continue despite the emotional difficulty they present and the need for these conversations to be facilitated with the proper sensitivity to the experiences of students of color at the same time. Let's listen to what else Blake had to say. So yeah, I mean, those are uncomfortable conversations that we have to have, but I think we have to be prepared and, and um, do them correctly and facilitate them without bringing our own, uh, again, like our biases into it. But those are conversations that do need to be had, I agree. I had the chance to talk to a Black woman student here at Trinity, who we'll call Violet, who detailed what it is like to experience racial conversations that approach the topic with insensitivity to the lived realities of students of color. Violet's perspective was especially important to me because it presents the potential problems with these discussions while simultaneously speaking to the importance of how to address these conversations when they go wrong. I think there there are kind of two different kinds of discomfort that are that might be happening right for me the discomfort was knowing that I had family members and that there are people that I know who had been in situations like this Violet's experiences of finding herself in racial conversations without a prior notice of the nature of these topics or what would explicitly be discussed in class were extremely uncomfortable for her, as these conversations reminded her of the troubling situations she's witnessed people close to her go through. Violet's experiences were very enlightening for me, as she spoke to the inadequacies in the way we approach discussions of race here on my own campus. In talking to Violet, Amy, Joey, and Blake, it became apparent that something has to change. Collectively, all of my interviewees raised questions about how we can best lean into the discomfort of racial discussions in a healthy way. If we know that conversations about racial issues can have various effects on different populations for a multitude of reasons, what are some potential solutions for approaching the discomfort aroused from racial discussions with proper sensitivity going forward? Many of my research participants presented ideas on how we can better achieve the balance between the importance that these discussions continue despite the emotional difficulty they present and the need for these conversations to be facilitated with the proper sensitivity to the experiences of students of color at the same time. Amy suggested that school leaders actively work to initiate these conversations on their campuses in a safe and encouraging manner. Listen to a little bit more about what she had to say about how school leaders can encourage these conversations. I think that if you have a school leader who creates a platform and uses a space to be able to facilitate these conversations in a way where everyone feels safe and sees that the school leader is the one that's initiating these types of conversations and everyone else is going to feel like they're safe and like they can say things. It might take a while, but like if the principal that's running your school is someone who's like starting these conversations and I feel like other people are going to feel safe to take risk and like participate in those kinds of things. Both Violet and Joey suggested that schools and teachers provide students, especially students of color, with a prior notice that serves to warn them of the emotionally sensitive nature of the topics at hand before racial discussions take place. Violet offered an idea for what sensitivity warnings for discussions around race could potentially look like. 
talking specifically on a, on a syllabus, right. uh, letting you know, like, this is what we're going to talk about. Having maybe just a little warning at the bottom, like, um, heads up that says we're going to talk about racism or sexism or okay. just other forms of discrimination. Like Violet, Joey emphasized how important it is that students have a prior notice before racial conversations take place so that they know what to expect. This is what Joey had to say. So obviously, um, there should be some kind of trigger alert, kind of, if you feel comfortable talking about it, then you're more than welcome to. If you feel discomforted by it, Mm -hmm. you know, you should be allowed to leave the room or just not participate in it. While both students stress that the sensitivity warning should be provided to all students, Violet emphasized the importance of sensitivity notices for students of color in particular. Throughout this experience, I was continually shocked by how adamant my participants were with their assertion that racial conversations continue to take place in the classroom despite the uncomfortable nature of these topics for everyone involved. In doing this project, I now realize that questions of race and the discussion of CRT in the classroom are not questions of whether or not these conversations should continue, but how we can best approach these difficult conversations and lean into them in a healthy way that promotes growth. In the words of Amy, the San Antonio Elementary School teacher interviewee, quote, We're never going to get to stay in a space of peace and understanding, you know? We're never going to get there unless we start having these conversations. How do you think teachers and students can deal with the discomfort of conversations around race in the classroom going forward? Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fallout.